And we've been going through the 12 prophets, uh, the last 12 books of the Old Testament. And we are on our fourth book, the book of Obadiah. When I was looking over the list and the ones to preach on, and I think I have an old sermon on this somewhere, I couldn't find it. Um, I know that I've taught on it before and looked at it in detail. When I was looking at the list, it's the short books that are kind of makes me think, I don't, I don't know if I'll have enough material here. And there's more than enough, and I think I could do another sermon on Obadiah, actually. So uh, maybe I'll put a whole sermon to series on Obadiah and go around the country preaching it. Just kidding. Um, but Obadiah is an interesting book. When I see, hear the word Obadiah, I hear the word Edom in it. I don't know why. Why O-B-A-D would trigger E-D-O-M in my head. Uh, I mean, maybe it's the... Uh, vowel consonant, vowel consonant pattern there, but that's what I'm thinking of. But what we're going to look at tonight is God's judgment on the pride of the nation of Edom. That's mostly what the book of Obadiah is about. This little bitty book is not that much focused on Israel, but we're going to look at it some more. And I think in our reading, when we're looking at Esau and Jacob, you've got the book of Obadiah here that helps to Follow along really well with that text. In fact, I think you'll find this lesson tonight will build uh, quite a bit off of the message them from this morning. So we're going to look at God's judgment against pride. So you hear a lot about this today. You can do anything you set your mind to. You can be anything you want to be when you grow up. Um, you, need to have self, you need to have a great self-esteem. But what does that mean, self-esteem? Well, it means you think much of yourself. You value yourself. And I think there's great flaws in that kind of thinking. Uh, we can't be any, everything we want to be, but we can be what God wants us to be. We, can't, uh, we shouldn't esteem ourselves too greatly or, or even too little. We're going to look at some scriptures on that. Well, we should esteem ourselves in the way that God has given us esteem and valued us. That's far greater than anything I can come up with. I start thinking about the subject of self-esteem. By what standard do I value myself with if I don't use God? Well, I'm going to use what society says about me. Well, that could be disastrous, can it? If society tells you you need to keep your mouth shut and be quiet and move to the margins. You know, that, that can be very damaging. And what about yourself, how you value yourself? Well, a lot of men today, men have five times the suicide rate of women. Why? Because they value themselves depending upon success. And they don't have the kind of success that they think they should have that would make themselves a valuable person. If men would value themselves in God and find their identity in God, they'd have greater things from that. But one thing that's lacking, especially in the church, are men. And even when we have men, do we have leaders? We're blessed here in this congregation that the men we do have um, are good men, Christian men, who are willing to lead. And we need to think about that. So as we look at the idea of self-esteem, the best thing you can do is esteem yourself as one made in God's image, that you have an ultimate purpose in life. If you esteem yourself by your own standard or by what society says or by, by what, you know, maybe evolutionary mentality of survival might tell you, you may end up being degraded, very definitely. And it's not going to hold up. No, how, however you value yourself, it ultimately won't matter in the end because you're going to die. And if you don't believe in God, 
is ultimately not going to mean anything. So when I look at this, we are reminded throughout the prophets of our standard of God. We don't know much about Obadiah. What I see about Obadiah is that this is about the time when Judah and Jerusalem are going to be taken off into captivity. It seems to be kind of out of order. Maybe it's not. Maybe, um, maybe the scholars are wrong on this because there are some that might put Obadiah in the 8th century and some try to force it into the 5th and 6th, I mean 5th and 4th century uh, B.C. Um, but most of them around the 8th to 6th century, I think you're 7th, 8th, 8th, 7th, 6th century, I think you're doing very good. I think that's the area we're looking at, and we're looking at what is coming upon Jerusalem and Judah. Are we looking at the Assyrians and the Babylonians here? I cannot say for certain. Most scholars think this is most likely the work of the Babylonian Empire. And in the context of things that we read here, I think you're going to find much to see about that. What we learn from Obadiah is how God works. We also see how God judges and stands against human pride and how God opposes those who do evil toward others. There's much to learn from this little book. Let's read here. Obadiah, verses 1 through 4. Again, like Garland said, there are 21 verses in this little book. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Notice the confidence there. God says this. The Lord God, that is Yahweh. That's capital L-O-R-D, representing the Hebrew word Yahweh. And God, Elohim. Concerning Edom. The focus here is on this nation of Edom. As we've been reading throughout the book of Genesis, we know where Edom comes from. Edom is the other name for Esau, meaning red. And so Esau's nation of the Edomites are across the Jordan. They're up in the high hills that are red. They sit on the plateaus, and they take great confidence on who they are as they sit up there and say, nobody's going to affect us. Nobody can hurt us. Nobody can bring anything against us. How foolish they are. What we see that happens to Edom is these nations that they trusted in to give them freedom as they stood against Judah would bring about their own downfall. Edom would move their lands. They, in fact, after Judah is carried away, most of the Edomites are going to move into the land of Judah and live in that area in the southern part of that, that Judah occupied. Eventually, when Judah comes back, Edom is so weak, they come engrafted. These people become, start to become a part of Israel. By the time of Jesus, there's a king over the Jews. His name is Herod. He's an Edomite. Where's the nation of Edom today? It's gone. Where are these empires, the Persian, the Syrian, the Babylonian? They're gone. Let's read about God's judgments here. So we've heard a report from the Lord. A messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. The Lord has called the nations to battle against his people. And against Edom, too. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. He's talking to Edom. You shall be utterly despised. Notice the problem here. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride is deceiving. To esteem yourself great or, or greater than other people. To look down. To not see others as having the same value and being created in God's image. image. That's what Edom does. They despise their brother. Esau's descendants despise the descendants of Jacob and of Israel. They look down upon them. In their pride, they do this. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You become a fool. Notice the descriptions here. You live in the class of the rock. You're up there in the plateau, in the red hills, over on the other side of Jordan, and you think you're good and you're safe up there. You're not. He says, in your lofty dwelling, 
who say in your heart, what do they say in your heart? Who will bring me down to the ground? Yes, they think they're up there. Nobody can pull them down. Though you soar aloft like the eagle. There again, they think they're in the heights. They have their own fortification. Nobody can hurt them. It says, though your nest is set among the stars. He's exaggerating here. Obadiah, their confidence. Oh, you're up there with the eagles. You're in the stars. Nobody can touch you. He says, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So we read about God's judgment against Edom. We see what led them astray, their own pride. Pride doesn't lead people astray today, does it? Is that an issue? Do people value pride? Do they uplift it? Do they claim it? You hear every June people talking about the pride they take in their sexual identity. They've deceived themselves. They fool themselves. They tell themselves they're okay. We're going to see more about that as we continue to read. God used the nations to bring judgment against Edom, as God does throughout the Scriptures. One nation against another. They rise up in pride and they reject God and they do evil and God uses another nation to bring them down. We're going to see that again. When we get to Habakkuk, we'll stress that a little bit further and look at it more in detail. Edom's pride again has deceived them to seek out their own selfish ambitions. They want to do things their way. They think much of themselves. They're safe. They're secure. They'll get along with all the nations and here, oh, there's our, our relatives, our distant relatives over there in Israel. Look how they're being brought low. Evidently, they didn't think much of Israel. I want us to look at a little bit about the idea of pride real quick and some passages about that. A number of scriptures you can find on the subject of pride, but pride deceives a godless people. These scriptures are very revealing. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 18. You know this one. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You think much of yourself. You think, oh, I'm okay. Even the Bible warns us, you know, first in the New Testament, excuse me, warns us in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, take heed lest you fall. You're going to be tempted. There will be sins. There are things that are come along that, will, that can affect you. But pride goes before destruction, an haughty spirit before a fall. And that's usually right. We have confidence that we can walk and we can carry something and the things that we put forth, and I mean that in a very physical, literal sense. Um, think about the times you've stumbled, times that you've hit your head, times that you've made a fool out of yourself. Um, I remember growing up, my parents really liked the movie While You Were Sleeping. You probably remember that movie with Sandra Bullock in it. My mother's favorite scene is a random scene in that movie. And it just shows this little kid, I think he's riding his bike, and he hits a patch of ice and he just hits the ground and just collapsed. It was just a random scene put into the movie, and I don't know if they were just filming some kid riding his bike, and that's what happened. And every time my mom would see that scene, she'd just start laughing. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, it's kind of funny, because why would we laugh at that? We laugh at it because we know that's something we would do, or we've done it before. But pride goes before destruction, and the haughty spirit before the fall. Look at the other verse here. Do nothing from selfish ambition. What's another word for selfish ambition? Personal goals, personal life goals. My goals need to be built on God, not upon what I want out of life. Well, I want this and I want that. God gave you life, you owe Him everything. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do you, do you think that way? I mean, most of us don't think that way. We think of equality. 
Oh, they're equal with me, even though I don't want to hear what they have to say. The Bible says to value others more significant, they're more important than you. Well, if I did that, I'd be serving them all the time. I'd be doing good for others all the time and not really thinking about myself and what I need. Well, that's exactly the point. He goes on. You read, you open up your Bible and go a little bit further into Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. You see the basis is on Jesus Christ. And it says, don't esteem yourself too highly and esteem others. Don't, and again here, be humble and count others more significant than yourself. And then the scripture goes on and say, look at Jesus. Look how he came as a servant. And he did not hold on to godliness, but he came as a servant into this world. Uh, Godliness is not the right, right word. He did not hold on to the form of God, but he came in the flesh, is what the text says. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul's making a point here to the Corinthians. He's saying your abilities, the things that you think you can do, so you're good at certain things. Maybe you're good at singing. Who gave you that ability? If you're good at dancing, who gave you that ability to be eloquent? If you're good at playing video games, you're good at sports, if you're very intelligent and you're great in academics, who gave you the ability to do those things? You can't boast in them and yourselves. We need to be boasting in God and saying, here I am, a weak person. Whatever I can do, whatever strengths I have, they're all given to me by God, so I need to use them, those gifts from God, for others. The Bible warns us about selfish ambition and envying others and jealousy. I think James 3 and verse 14 through 16 is very fitting. This needs to be out front in many churches where there's division and strife. Look at what this says, what James says. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy, bitter jealousy, you envy other people so that you have contempt for them. You despise them. You want to look down for them. Why do they get what they get? You have selfish ambition. You have personal goals that nobody's going to get in your way of you accomplishing them. And you have them in your hearts. He says, do not boast or be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. I think the most striking word to me right there is demonic. This kind of pride. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Isn't that true? You're envious of others and it's all about your selfish ambitions. What are your ambitions? Pleasure and recreation and success and money. Unless it's based on God, that would be selfish ambition. It's based upon me as my own standard and my self-esteem. There'll be disorder in every vile practice. We see that in the world today. People can't figure out why we have the problems that we do. Yet the Bible's told us this whole time to lean and trust on Him and to value one another the way that God does to put away these things, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. But listen, he says here, but the wisdom that's from above is first pure and then peaceable and gentle and open to reason. I like that description, open to reason. Description of honesty. I've heard some people say, well, I don't want to have an open mind because I don't want everything to fall out. So, you've never heard that before? So, open-minded people, everything just falls out. Well, then you're closed-minded. I think the right way to put it is that I'm honest. I want to have an honest mind and an open one, one that's open to reason. And then he says here, full of mercy and of good fruits, impartial and sincere. Again, sincere, honest. 
impartial. We value others equally and then yet greater than us. Great things there. We want to stay away from pride. Another passage on pride before we get back to Edom, just to stress this point. I like Psalm 10, verses 3 through 4. It says, For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. I want this and I want that. I desire these things and from my, from my heart. I want them. It's coveting. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. Oh, that sounds like a spoiled person. God, you don't give me what I want. I wanted a bigger house. I want another kind of spouse and I wanted a bigger pool. And, you know, we can go down the list. I wanted a nicer car. I wanted a better job and a better career. So the greedy one curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. His pride keeps him. The reason people don't seek out God, their sin and their pride, and then it says all of their thoughts are there is no God. That's what the prideful think. There is no God. They constantly say that to themselves to give them some kind of confidence. So we see a lot about pride and why God calls judgment against Edom for their pride. And this pride that Edom has leads to betrayal. They turn against God's people. They turn against Jacob. Instead of being their allies and their friends and acting as a brother, they turn their backs on him. Let's look at a few descriptions of this. Edom's allies even deceive them and will betray them. And God tells them that. And we read about it in Jeremiah 49 and verse 9. We read about it here in Obadiah. Look with me in verses 10 through 11. It says, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. Edom's going to cease to exist. Do they exist today? No, they're gone. On the day that you stood aloof and on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You were there to take advantage of this. You allowed it to happen. You ignored it. Imagine if you treat, should we be treating our brethren like that or brothers like that? And I think the application there for us as Christians, we see those in the church that are in need. We see the things happening and we just stand back and not do anything. And even worse, if we were to be like Edom and take advantage of it. Again, Edom's that nation that's descended from Esau, Jacob's brother. The Edomites we read about in Amos, remember we covered Amos before. Edomites were buying the people of Israel. They were enslaving them and the people of Judah, and sold them to other nations. You imagine that. Your distant relatives and other nations nearby. And you're buying them, and you're kidnapping them, and you're selling them to other nations. And God condemns it for what they did was evil. They migrated into the land of, the Edomites would move into the land of Judah after the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. And then in 586 B.C., the Edomites again are going to come to an end. Let's go a little bit further here in Obadiah. Look at verses 12 through 14. God tells them, don't do this. It appears here kind of a warning before time, before it occurs. Maybe that'd make a case for this being a little bit earlier in its writing. But let's read here 12 through 14. Do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. It makes you think about 1 Corinthians 13, that love doesn't boast and it doesn't celebrate and rejoice in evil. But that's what they did. It says, do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. But that's exactly what they do. 
Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. People trying to escape and you're capturing them. What purpose? Again, for Edom to sell them into slavery. Do not hand over survivors in the day of distress. That's what's happening there. Enslavement. God's warning to them, you shouldn't be doing this. Don't do it, but they do do it. The enemies of God, as it says here in the text, will be put to shame. We continue to read. We read about what happens to Edom. We read about lamentations. Edom will not escape. Chapter 4 and verse 22, lamentations. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer, but your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover sins. So you've got a contrast here. Daughter of Zion, that's talking about Israel and the Jews. He's not going to keep you in exile forever. He's going to bring you out. He's going to restore you. There's hope here throughout the Scriptures and throughout the, the minor prophets as we're going to be seeing a little bit further in the book of, of Obadiah. But the judgment against Edom for his sins is forever. Notice this here. A lot of people today have a concept of which they call karma, part of the new age kind of thing. It's not karma. It's God's providential justice. God is at work. I'm not going to use that word because it doesn't represent the Scriptures. Listen to what Obadiah verses 14 through 16 says. For the day of the Lord. We've seen this. You remember the book of Amos and the other texts? We continue to see day of the Lord. God's judgment's coming upon the nations. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. God brings that justice. We think about the things that are going on in the United States, the trials that we are going through. Do we deserve it because of our sins as a nation and as a country? Yes. We're bringing this upon ourselves. Our own sins come upon our own head. As you've done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations will drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and, sh and shall be as though they had never been. They're all going to come to an end. They're going to come to God's judgment, these other nations. So God's justice, you get a picture here in Obadiah. As you've done, it shall be done to you. I might emphasize that as the key passage and the key message here. And God's judgment against their pride. We're going to look at the last few verses here of Obadiah. And the reason we want to look at this now is you also have in Obadiah and throughout the minor prophets, the 12 prophets, a reason to rejoice, to have hope. Because all these books are telling us Israel will be restored. God's people will be restored in a greater way. And all the nations will be blessed through them. That promise is still there. Even though God declares these judgments against the nations who are doing wicked, He's still going to bless all the nations through His offspring and through His seed, just as we are studying this morning. Look at verses 17 through 18 now. And in Mount Zion, that's where Jerusalem sits on that mountain, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. It's going to be holy again. And the house of Jacob, that's Israel, shall possess their own possessions. They're going to have their land again. They're going to be restored. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. And that's not in a bad sense. That's in a diligent sense that they're going to be restored. And the house of Joseph a flame. They're a fire and a flame against who? Because the house of Esau, the Edomites, he says, will be stubble. They're the ones that will burn and go into no other, no other existence. He says here, they shall burn them and consume them. And they, there shall be no survival for the house of Esau and for the Lord has spoken. God's judgment came to pass against Esau. 
The last few verses here of Obadiah, I look here in verses 19 through 21. Those of Negev, this is the southern part of Judea, down near the wilderness, they're going to possess Mount Esau. And well, that's interesting because Esau and Edom moved into that area. But that area, Judah's going to take it back and they're going to possess Mount Esau. And those of Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. In other words, God's going to restore his people to the lands. They're going to, bring them, they're going to be brought out of exile. And the Jews come back to the lands and Christ comes into the land. And all the blessings to all the nations through God's seed is going to come about. God's predictions. These ancient books we're reading here. The 39 books of the Old Testament and the predictions are all fulfilled. It's amazing to think about. And Obadiah again confirms that. Shows it to be true. Look at Obadiah 19 through 21. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of Negev. In other words, they're going to be restored to the greatest extents of their land. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. Kings will come and rulers. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Wait, something's changed here. This kingdom, what we've been reading about, we back up, look at this again. Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be... I want to emphasize these two things. It's going to be holy. It's going to be the Lord's kingdom that's going to be restored. That's going to come in, more than just restored. It'll come in the fullness, the promise, and I believe that is in Jesus Christ. All these things are fulfilled in Him. So by the prophets, God promised to restore His people, to make Him Himself a holy people. First Peter reminds us that, that God desires a holy people. And so as we finish tonight, how will the kingdom become holy? How will it become the Lord's? I think it's quite evident. We're a part of that kingdom. We are God's nation. We often talk about the United States being the greatest nation on earth. In one sense, that's true. But in the greater sense, in connection with God, it's not the greatest nation on earth. The greatest nation on earth is the church. Church of Christ, God's kingdom. And in Colossians 1, verses 13 through 14, we see that. It is Christians who've done the greatest good throughout history. It is the work of Christ and God through His people who have changed this world and made it a better place. Imagine what the world might be like if there were no Christians. If Christ never came. You imagine the United States without a Christian foundation, without the influence, throughout many years and literature and the foundation that, 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 that come from the Christian faith. Where would the libraries be? Where would literacy be? They wouldn't exist. Where would hospitals be? Well, they again came from Christianity. Somebody might say, well, maybe they'd pop out of somewhere. From where? And I can go on a long list of things that come from the blessing of being Christians that has changed the world and made it a better place. We teach equality and we teach the value that's based in God and not in our own thoughts. We're part of something amazing and powerful that's been predicted here. And the little book of Obadiah reminds us of that, that we are God's kingdom and we are to be holy. Colossians 1, 13-14, He delivered us from the domain of darkness. Yes, from sin and rebellion. He's transferred us into the kingdom 
of his beloved son, the king, the Messiah, whom we have redemption in the forgiveness of sins. And thank God for that. It's not by our own work. We see our own imperfections. We were in darkness and in sin here. To be transferred in the kingdom of God is a blessing. So think about that. Tonight, as we look at the book of Obadiah, be encouraged. Look at Acts 2.38 again. We read it this morning, and I think it's fitting to look at it again. Tonight, if you need to repent and be baptized, you can do that. That's what the scriptures say. What should we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. If you need prayers and encouragement, we encourage you to come, put away all pride, base your, your value in your Creator, trust in God and follow after Him. God's providence and justice will work out. I believe it and know it's true. Whatever your needs are, we encourage you to come now. Let's sing together.